we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. It's really cool to be here, yes. Uh, so my name is Casey Tigert. I'm uh, a good friend of Brad's. I also serve uh, locally at Parkview Christian Church just down the road. Uh, but it's good to be here with you. Um, if, there's, if there's anything I've learned... <laughs> from being alive, it's that uh, not every plan goes the way that you think it will. I don't know if you, maybe you guys haven't felt this, but me, I've had this happen. Last summer, last August, my wife and I celebrated 18 years of marriage, which was awesome. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, And it still is awesome. It wasn't just awesome last summer, but it is awesome. And so we had this trip planned. We were going to go to Fort Myers, Florida. Now, if you remember last August about this about that time uh, in Florida, there was this thing called the red tide, and so all of the algae in the corals outside of Fort Myers had started to break down and it created this junk that just floated through the air. And if you breathed it in, you have like these asthma-like symptoms. And so we decided not to go because I can't re- imagine anything less romantic than happy anniversary, honey. Please bring your oxygen mask to the beach. Uh, so instead, we decided to take a different trip. So we ended up going to Phoenix, Arizona, in August. I didn't say it was smart, I said it was an alternative, but it was great. We took my daughter and we went and we walked through, you know, some, did some hikes through the desert and the cacti are amazing and, you know, the family that melts together stays together, that whole, whole thing. We saw something really interesting called a haboob, which is a giant dust storm that looks kind of like this. This is the city of Phoenix just getting taken over by a dust storm. It's called a haboob, which is both the dust storm and your junior hire's new favorite word. Um, the haboob just sort of cleared through. It happened at night and... Uh, so we didn't get a chance to see it. But uh, as we sat in this Phoenix hotel, um, thinking about where we were, we, I was thinking about our, our 18 years of marriage. And I actually started thinking about the first year, which was an absolute mess. Now, for some, nobody else has had this experience, but the first year of marriage was an absolute mess. We had the sort of screaming, throwing things, swearing kind of fights. Of course, nobody here has had that, but we did. We had that that first year. And there was one fight, I remember, where we were just in the middle of it, and it was crazy. And we had invited one of our friends over for dinner, and he had shown up, but he had been waiting outside. And so finally, he opened the sliding door and said, is it safe to come in now? Like, that's how bad it was. So when we were sitting there, I started thinking about that. Why would I think about that particular moment when we're celebrating 18 years of marriage, because what we were doing is not celebrating just the fact that it was August of 2018. We were celebrating the fact that that's where we started, and now this is where we are. And we could look at that moment and go, man, look how far we've come. This is an amazing thing that happens at the very beginning of the story of the Bible. God begins to create things. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth at that time was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Formless and empty means void or out of order or disordered, sort of like the first year of a marriage. And it was just chaos. And so God steps into the chaos, and he begins to bring order to things. And he starts to make things. He makes seas. 
These giant bodies of salt water teeming with amazing life. We just watched Aquaman this week. Yes, teeming with life, including Arthur Curry. And then God created the stars, the cosmos. He flung the constellations into their places and made them bright and beautiful and blue and black and gray. And then he raised his hands and the mountains rose like guests at a wedding when the bride comes in. And then he made animals, all of them, African, Asian, North American, South American, birds, bees, giraffes. Made all of these things, all these amazing things out of nothing. Beauty after beauty, so much so that the Psalms actually say, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim their handiwork. It is so amazing that it doesn't even need a translator. It just says it. And then... He does something else. Then God said, let's make mankind in our image and our likeness. So after all of this stuff, he makes man in his image and likeness. He finishes making stuff, and he looks at it all, and he says, it is very good. The Hebrew word is the words tov meod. If you can't remember that, just remember tod meo. That's how somebody told me to remember it. Tov meod, it means exceedingly pleasant or good. Everything, seas, mountains, animals, cosmos, you and I, God looks at and says, this is very good. You and I are very good. And you know what? He never goes back on that. He never changes his mind about how very good we are. And then something interesting happens. This is what it says. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he was doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Rested from all of his work to stop, to cease. Then God blessed that seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God calls everything he made very good, but he only calls one thing holy in that first part, and that is the moment when he stopped. And he said, when I stop, when we stop, it is a holy moment. The word Sabbath comes from the word Shabbat. It just means to cease. This day of resting is to stop doing what we're doing and to just take a moment. And it's not like God needed a break. God didn't need a break. It's not like God was like, man, the Rocky Mountains almost did me in. I need like five seconds to catch my breath. That was something else. He just stopped. He needed something else. Now, you and I have heard this word Sabbath before, probably. For a lot of us, it's the day, it just means the day we can't get Chick-fil-A. So that's some of what it means. For me, growing up, it was the day when all the buffet restaurants were open, but all the grocery stores were closed, which I couldn't quite understand that. But that's, that's what it's often been. But it's something bigger than that. This one day that God, God makes everything, calls it very good, makes this one day holy where he just stops it's bigger than just whether we shut down restaurants. It's bigger than what we do or what we don't do. It's something else. It's this. This day was set aside for celebration. God stopped because he just wanted to celebrate all the very good stuff he made. And he said, to do that, to do that is a holy thing. You make space for something amazing to happen. It was a day when God could stop and look back at the formless and void and go, my, 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 look how far we've come. We started with nothing, and now we have this. It's very good. You and I come in here after a week of work, after a week of struggle, 
after a week of working on relationships, after a week of school, after a week of all the things that we've gone through, we come into this place, into this moment, and something holy is given to us. It's a chance for us to shut it down and say, man, look at what happened this week. And maybe to do a little bit of celebrating. We got to do, uh, my wife and I did premarital counseling. How about that? We go from the first year screaming and swearing to now we're doing premarital counseling, see? They always say that the best cops were criminals, but, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, we got to do some premarital counseling and a wedding for two of our friends, Daniel and Jordan. And as we prepared them, and as I was preparing for the wedding ceremony and writing this message that I was going to give them, I found this quote from a novel that I love by a man named Wendell Berry. And it's the story of two people, Nathan and Hannah Coulter. And Nathan finds out that he has inoperable cancer. And he decides that he's not going to take any treatment. He's just going to go on. And so there's a scene where Hannah is at the sink whisking eggs, something I've never been able to do. Some of you guys can do that. I have no idea how you do that. But she's whisking eggs, and she's crying, and tears are falling into the mixture, and it's just ruining the eggs. And finally, she slams the bowl in the sink and says, so what? So are you just going to roll over and die? And he says, oh, Hannah, dear, no. My dear Hannah, we're going to go right on living. I'm going to live right on. And he seems to be saying that this is a moment where everything is coming to a head. And maybe this is the week that you've had. Something came to a head. Conflict, confrontation, addiction, struggle, demons, whatever they might be. And we're kind of, con we're kind of offered a challenge to say, what are you going to do with this? And God gives us this day, today, to cease and to look at how far we've come. And that was my reason for giving this thing to Daniel and Jordan in their wedding, this quote, this idea. And both of them actually decided to get their wedding date tattooed on their forearms, which was pretty awesome. But Daniel got the quote tattooed underneath it, just so that when things got difficult, just so when they had their first year of screaming, swearing, and throwing things, that one day they could look back and go, man, look how far we've come. And you know what? Whatever's coming next, we're just going to go right on living. We're just going to keep going. We celebrated 18 years because we decided to put our hands together, to clasp hands with each other, to close our eyes, put our heads down, and just keep going. And some of what God is doing is bringing us to that place today where no matter what you've gone through or what you're anticipating in this next week, you can just keep on going because a lot of times coming up to celebrations is a difficult thing. The year between birthdays is really difficult sometimes. The year leading up to Christmas is filled with doubt and illness and dysfunction. The le year leading up to anniversaries has hurt and challenge inside of it, and maybe that's something you've been experiencing. So how do we get to this place where we can really, really celebrate, where we can really look back and say, look how far we've come and that we're going to keep on going? Well, this idea of Sabbath, this idea of resting, we don't hear about it again in the Bible. We go from Genesis to the story of the book of Exodus. And in Exodus, a bunch of slaves are being freed from slavery. And this is what happens when they're free. There's a commandment that Moses gives who's writing. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to your Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. He wanted them to remember Memory is a really important thing. I just wrote a book about how memory functions in our spiritual lives. Memory is an incredibly important thing. And in this moment, what he knew had to happen is, I have to remind you, and you and I have to be reminded to look back and see what God has done. 
So when we come together, when we come into this place to celebrate, to sing, to pray, to eat together, what we're doing is basically saying, let's take a moment and remember what God has done this week so that we can continue going into the future. And that's what God is doing in this moment. He's saying, take a day. Go to work. Do your commute. Raise your kids. Do all that stuff you need to do. But let there be one day where you shut it down. And you just remember all that God has done so that you will know all that God is going to do. We desperately need that. And that's honestly why we look forward to celebrations, because they're different. Like if you just pick a random Tuesday and whip out some cake and ice cream and candles and put on a hat, somebody's going to go, we need to keep an eye on dad. But if you go, it's my birthday, they're like, well, then bring out more cake for Christ. I'm amazed at the kind of stuff you can get away with on your birthday. Like, I'm going to eat a whole cake. Great, it's your birthday. You should be. If you try to do that any other day, people are like, you need help. Maybe a counselor. Celebrations are those moments where it's special, it's different, it's unique, so that we can step back and to remember. And to remember, no matter how challenging life might be, no matter how difficult it might be, there is a God who goes with us and is with us. There is a God who shut it down to remember how good it was to bring things from formless and void to very good. And he takes that moment and says, this is a holy day. So come in this moment. Come and celebrate all that God has done in you. I know it's been a difficult week. I know we all come with this universe, this planet of stuff that has happened this week. I know we do. And the best thing we can do is to say, man, look how far we've come. Look what God has done. I wonder what he's going to do next. Because if we don't do that, we forget some things. We forget that we actually have an invitation to do life with a God who loves us more than we could possibly imagine. The psalmist says this, he says, Oh God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. Now we're not in a temple, but what we are saying is there is a love that God has given us that does not fail. It does not change based on what you've done this week. God's love does not go up and down based on our performance. That's not a God that Jesus ever knew. That's not a God I would ever want to hang out with. If that's who God really is, we all should find something different to give our lives to. But that's not the God that the Bible teaches about. The Bible teaches about a God whose love doesn't fail. Regardless of your struggles this week, regardless of when that person cut you off in traffic and what you said or what symbol you gave them, that's a random example. It's not didn't really happen this week, especially not to me. Um, what we get to remember is, even though our lives this week may have been a complete and utter mess, the love of God hasn't changed. This classic verse is still true, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Notice, before we did, God loved Before you and I cleaned up or prayed up or showed up, God had already loved us, and that never changes. You are very good in his eyes, and nothing will diminish that. Today, this day when we cease and we celebrate, it's just a chance for us to remember that. Oh, right. Even though people around me have told me that I'm a failure, even though the people that are supposed to be close to me have wounded me and broken me, even though all of that stuff is happening, I get to come here, I get to pause and say, man, Look how far we've come. I used to feel lost and alone, and now there's this God whose love never fails and never diminishes. The God who loves us at our worst is the one who brings us here today. 
And so as we do that, there are some things that happen when we gather together to cease and to celebrate for a few minutes. I just want to talk about those. There are three things because it's a sermon and we do things in threes. Um, when, we, when we gather, when we worship, we do a few things. One of them is we celebrate, we celebrate what matters most. When we are here, when we gather together, when you shut it down and remember what God has done, you are always in the process of remembering what matters most. I was listening to an interview with a guy named Frank Borman, and this was on a, on a radio program, and he gave this quote that said, space, science fiction is completely boring to me, which is hilarious because this is Frank Borman. He was the commander of the Apollo 8 mission, the very first rocket to ever orbit the moon. He was the one, his company was the one that gave us this picture, which is called Earthrise, which is the first time the Earth and the moon had ever been photographed together, this beautiful, beautiful picture. He was one of the most decorated astronauts in NASA history. He's also, fun fact, if you need this for trivia, the guy that the Borman Expressway is named after that comes over from Indiana, in case you were wondering who that was. Upon landing after the Apollo 8 mission, he resigned from NASA. He gave up space flight. He gave up space travel. And people interviewed him, and they said, why would you, at the peak of your career, why would you do that? And this is what he said. I love my family more than anything else in the world. I would never have subjected them to the dangers simply for me to be an explorer. At the peak, at the pinnacle, at the height of the success that an astronaut could have, being so notable and so known, he said, I'm out, because it doesn't matter that much. Because to worship something is to bow down to it, is to give it power, is to give it privilege, is to give it priority. And he said, I won't give priority to this because it might destroy something that matters more to me. It's something that we give our attention and our respect and our trust to. And we can worship just about anything. We can worship just about, we can give ultimate priority to just about anything, from Netflix series to college football teams, guilty. We can give our attention and our worship to just about anything. But the question is, is it big enough to carry the weight of our worship? Because our priorities are heavy. Because we will act, we will act based on what we worship. Or in other words, our worship determines what we sacrifice. What we worship, what we worship determines what we sacrifice. Frank Borman would give up NASA because the higher priority was his family. When we come together, we get an opportunity to say, if God is who we think he is, then he's big enough to carry the weight of our worship. That's why I don't worship my marriage. I love it and I tend to it. But I also know we're going to go through ups and downs. We're going to go through difficult seasons. My marriage can't carry the weight of my full worship. Only the God who has brought my wife and I through the past 18 years can carry the weight of my attention and my sacrifice and my energy. That's why the psalm says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people He watches over, the flock under His care. That's why it matters for us to come together. It matters because it reminds us of what matters most. It reminds us of what thing deserves our sacrifice and our energy. It reminds us of all the gifts we've been given. It reminds us how far we've come. So people have asked me before, hey, you know, I want to do this Jesus thing, but I'd rather not show up at that place on the weekends. Can I do that? And my easy answer would be, sure. Sure, you can do that. You don't, you don't have to show up on Sundays to be a follower of Jesus. 
But can you, I don't know, live and never celebrate a birthday? The older I get, that seems like a better idea. I mean, let's just pretend. <laughs> pretend that didn't happen. Can you be married and never celebrate an anniversary? Sure, just don't forget it. Of course you can. But what's the quality of life? See, because God didn't just create us to make it by the skin of our teeth. God created us very good so that we would thrive. Of course you can live and not celebrate birthdays. Of course you can be married and not celebrate anniversaries. But what's the quality of life you're going to have? God invites us to this place because life really comes when we shut it down and cease and celebrate. We were built to party. And God is 10 steps ahead of us, awaiting our arrival so that we can celebrate together. That's the message. That's what love does in all of us. It reminds us, God is already ahead of you preparing the feast. So, you don't have to be there, but do you want to thrive? Do you want life beyond life? Then this is what we do. We show up and we cease and we celebrate. And I get it. I, I know people don't want to come to church because they think it's weird. And let's be honest for a second, church is weird. Let me ask you a question. If I were to show up, let's pretend that we've never been to uh, here or any other church. Uh, let, I'm going to show up and I'll, be, and I'll say, hey, here's what, here's what I want to invite you to. I want you to come with me um, Sunday morning. No, I know, I know, you'll have been out late and you'll be exhausted, but still, this will be great. Sunday morning. We're going to go to this place, and we're all going to sit in rows, and we're going to look forward. And then we're going to stand up and sing out loud in public. Oh, what's that? You only do that in the shower in the car? Totally understand. But what I want you to do is come with me. We're going to sing together in public with people you don't know. Oh, and did I mention we're going to have low lighting? Really? Interesting. And then after that, somebody, some guy is going to stand up and talk for like half an hour about some spiritual stuff. Then after that, you're going to get a tiny piece of bread, dip it in some juice, eat it, and then we're all going to leave. Oh, and by the way, in the middle of that, I'm going to ask you to shake hands with a bunch of strangers, to which all the introverts go, no. <laughs> if I told you that, you'd go, yeah, no, I'm, I'm busy every Sunday from now until I'm dead. <laughs> because if there's nothing behind it, why bother? I can sing at home. I have the internet. I can watch famous preachers. The point is, you, you need to be with some people who remind you how far you've come. Some people who also have lives that have burst into flames, and God has repaired them and restored them and renewed them. Some people who have coworkers that they'd also like to slap in the face, and they're dealing with that. Not that, again, any of you have that. We can easily come here and miss the point which is the God at the heart of it all, the God who bears the weight of our worship, the God who took the void and made it very good and said, man, let's stop and look at how far we've come, the God who loves us without failing. And people have been missing the point for all of history. Jesus gets into a conversation with these guys called the Pharisees, and they were constantly missing the point, it appeared. And so there was one moment where Jesus and his disciples are out, and it says, one Sabbath, one rest day, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as disciples walked along, they began to pick the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Basically saying, y'all aren't resting right. We made laws about resting, y'all need to rest right. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's like showing up to the birthday party and checking a box going, yeah, I was there. 
And we've all had those. I get that. Like, we need to put in an appearance. But this is not what that's all about. Jesus said, you guys have missed the point. You think the point is just that you don't go to Chick-fil-A on Sundays because they're closed or that Hobby Lobby's closed. That's not the point. The point is the God who's behind all of that. The point is the point. We celebrate what matters most. We celebrate the God who took void and made it good, who brought us out of whatever junk we've been in. And so we can sit here together and say, man, look how far we've come. We come here to cease and celebrate what matters most, which is that we are all a mess. But we've been rescued, and we've been loved, and we've been cared for beyond what we could comprehend. So that's one thing we do. But of course, we can't stay here all week. As Brad said, you guys will have to move stuff if you stay here all week. So don't stay here all week. Or you may be like doing windows or vacuuming or something like that. We can't stay here all week. We have a life to get to. My wife and daughter and I couldn't have stayed in Arizona. We had to come back. We had to do the packing the lunches and paying the bills and do all that, all that stuff. There is a life you and I have that we need to go back to. So some of what we do when we come here is to celebrate what matters most. What we also do is we get ready for life in between celebrations. We get ready for the next six days because it always said in the Bible, celebrate, work for six days, do your thing, then on the seventh one, then you celebrate. And I'm not going to be legalistic about that. If that comes on a Monday, that's fine. The point is not the day. The point is what we're doing. But what we are doing in those celebrations is learning how to do life in between the times that we're together. Paul puts it this way. He says, therefore, I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your lives, yourselves, your time, your energy as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. Worship means that we have this life that God is saying, I want you to give everything you've got to that. So if you're a mom, mom as hard as you can. If you're an artist, if you're a creative, if you're a leader, if you, are, uh, if you have a job that you work, if you have a home that you work in, whatever you do, whatever you do, give everything you've got to that so that when you come together again, when we get to that chance to cease and celebrate, you can stop and go, man, look at what happened. Look at what God did through all of our energy and all of the things that we did this week. One of the Bible writers, Paul, puts it this way. He says, since you have been raised to new life, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When you go to mom really hard, when you go to work on your marriage, when you go to your AA meetings, when you go into traffic again, when you do all of those things, you're not doing them as the person who's got all their stuff figured out. You're doing it as a person that God has given new life to. And you take that energy into the next week so that when we come back together again and we cease and we celebrate, we can go, man, look at what we were able to do this week. Stuff happened that I didn't even expect. God met me in places that I didn't even imagine. So we celebrate. You celebrate the birthday, carrying forward the wisdom of that last year. You celebrate the anniversary knowing we went through some things and we made it out the other side. Man, what's going to happen next? We celebrate the graduation. And we go with the training to make the world a beautiful place, to act out our lives as being very good. The love of Jesus welcomes us to live differently in the time between the celebrations.
with energy and encouragement and strength that we didn't have before. So that one day, maybe next week, we look back and go, man, look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. Worshiping together, um, gathering together, ceasing and celebrating also helps us to do one other thing, which is to learn to do hard things well. So we celebrate what matters most. We learn how to live in between the times when we're here. But it also teaches us how to do hard things well. Not all celebrations are easy. A funeral is a celebration, a celebration of life, a celebration of a person that we loved and cared about. A going away party is a celebration of a new opportunity, but also it's a bit of grief because a friend of ours isn't going to be around anymore. Last fall, I did something called the Ragnar Relay. Some of you are chuckling because you know what that is. It is a 200-mile run done by nine people over 48 hours. So what that means is we each take a turn, and that means at some point in our run, at like 3 a.m., one of my friends was running in rural Kentucky at 3 a.m. in the dark, dodging wildlife, because when you're out there that early, you're part of the food chain. So we did this race, 48 hours, 200-some miles. I ended up running myself like 25.1 miles over those 48 hours. But before I ever did that, I had to train. Because contrary to popular belief, you can't just wake up one morning and then decide to go do that. Like, you know what, what should I do today? 25-mile run, that'd be great. That is a great way to end up in the hospital, just so you know. Like, your hips will just go shot and everything like that. So I trained. I beat, it felt like beating my body to death to prepare it for this run through the wilderness in the middle of the night. Some of the life between our celebrations is going to require us to train to do some hard things some really difficult things. My friend Aaron Nequist, who's a, a worship leader, says one of the best things about us gathering is it teaches us words that are not normal or natural. Your kids have natural words. I'm hungry, I'm tired, give me that. Those are natural words. But there are some words that don't come naturally, like, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? It was my fault. And those those are the ones that really make life sing. But we don't do that naturally. Our first language is not, I'm sorry, or please forgive me. It's, you're an idiot. You're wrong. Not my problem and not my fault. So what we do is we also learn how to do the hard but good work of saying I'm sorry, of confessing. And so what I want to do today as we close is to do a little bit of confession. Now, couple things. I know for some of you, that word has baggage. I totally understand that. Let me tell you what confession is not. Confession is not trying to get God to do something that he doesn't already want to do. It's not trying to say the right combination of words so that God finally lets us off the hook and tolerates us for another week. That's not what confession is. You have to understand, God is already at the party. He's waiting for us to show up. God has already prepared forgiveness. He's waiting for us to come and to talk about it and to ask for it because it hasn't changed his love. Nothing has changed about the love of God. What he wants to know is, do you understand that this is contrary to that and do you understand I'm the only one that can help you step back into the flow? That's what confession really is. Confession is putting stuff on the table that is dark and broken so that we can be restored so that we can come to this celebration and go, man, look how far God has brought us. In Ephesians it says, so we praise God for the glorious, I love this, the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. 
He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave. English majors in the room, past tense. Not will forgive, not could forgive, not might forgive if we're really, really good going forward, has already forgiven, forgave. It's done, it's over with. And so all we then need to do is ask. First John, it says, if we confess to him, if we confess to him our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. So I want to end not only with a time of confession and forgiveness, but something that will also lead us then to celebrate. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little bit of corporate confession, and that may sound scary to you, but all it means is that we're going to read together a confession that's already in the Bible. You don't have to make up your own words or anything like that. As an act of saying, God, here's something that's happened where I've broken my relationship with you or with others, and I'm sorry. But also saying, and here's what I know you're already doing. You're making me clean. You're setting me free. So take a moment with me, if you would, and bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you, if you will, just bring to mind something that in the last week, maybe in the last 48 hours, maybe in the last month, some way that you've broken your relationship with God or with others. And remember, this is not a moment for you just to wallow in guilt because God is way ahead of you. He has already loved you and already forgiven you for whatever it is that you're naming. This is just us accepting that. Bring that to mind, something that you did to break your relationship, to wound, to hurt the life that you have with God or with others. This is also a time to be honest. Let's not rationalize this. Sure, there's probably some details, but let's not try to make this something that it isn't. We just honestly lay it out there and say, God, this is what happened. I was at fault. On the screens, we're going to have some lines from Psalm 51. So if you would, would you read this with me as an act of confession? Let's read this together. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. God, thank you that we can be honest and we can lay this in front of you. Thank you that we don't have to remain in guilt because of it. We can be honest with you. We can put it out there. We can lay it on the table. We can admit to it and know that just because we've failed doesn't mean we're failures. And that you already have forgiven us. But we need to be honest about what this is. And now there's some words about forgiveness that are in Psalm 51. Let's read these together. Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow white life. Tune me in to foot tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. 
Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. God, thank you that not only can we bring whatever it is that we have, whatever darkness, whatever brokenness is in us, we can bring it to you, but we know you have already said, I will make you clean, I will forgive you, I will cleanse you, I will bring you life that you can't even imagine. So today, on this day that we cease and we celebrate, we cease so that we can, we can confess, but we also now celebrate the fact that you have forgiven us and that your love is difficult to describe. It is so big and so wide and so beautiful that you're jealous for us, that your love bends us like hurricane winds and that it brings hope to us. Even when we feel like we have busted things up beyond repair, you say, no, 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 no. I took formless and void and made it very good. Don't you think, don't you think I can take your life and put it back together? All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.